Praise God. It's good to be in his house, isn't it? It's good to be together. And we just thank you, Lord, that you're with us. Praise God. He really is, isn't he? I'm going to get back into Daniel again. Daniel's an amazing book, isn't it? It really is powerful, what happened. What's so powerful about Daniel is, I don't know that I ever looked at it like I'm looking at it now, but it's so much like the time we live in. It is a time where there is uh, such a mixture. That's what the Babylon word means. It means mixture. And there's so many different beliefs, and you can believe whatever you want, and simultaneously, even though you have so many freedoms on the surface to believe whatever you want, the real agenda is for you to worship their God. And so that's really what is incredible. Yet, God allowed it, as I began to say last week, for Judah to go into that very place. But even though they were captive and went under the dominion of Babylon, Meanwhile, God had his ones that sought him right there in the midst of it. So I want us to look again. I'm going to breeze through uh, some, just some thoughts from last week, and I want to get into some deeper things this week. So in Daniel chapter 1, Israel's been warned, right? Israel was warned and warned. Everybody say they've been warned, right? America's been warned, we shouldn't be afraid to say that. We get so nervous to say, like, oh, God could judge America. It's God, and he never changes. Does he love us? Of course he does. Is there grace? Of course there is. Is Jesus filled with compassion towards us? Of course he is. But does that mean that God has changed? Of course not. God is still God. And so... He warned them and warned them and warned them and warned them. And what they did is they kind of went through these seasons, though, where it was held off because the people and their king would, they would worship God and they would hold off God's judgment. But finally, after countless warnings, the Lord allows Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, to be conquered and taken into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar of the kingdom of Babylon. And then the king orders something very interesting. He says, I want you to go and go to the royal family. Go to Judah's royal family, and I want you to look for men in that family. And he said in verse 4 of chapter 1, that are strong and healthy, good-looking young men. He said, make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning, gifted in knowledge and judgment, and suited to serve in the royal palace, and train them in our culture and our language. And then... Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were these four men that stood out to them. They stood out as having the qualities they were looking for. And it says in verse 17 that God gave them an unusual aptitude for understanding in every aspect of literature and wisdom. And the king was so impressed with them that they enter his royal service. And in verse 20 it says, Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his kingdom. And so, I don't want to re-preach last week if you heard it, 
Uh, just a reminder, if you're listening on the podcast, you can go listen again to part one of the fourth man in the fire. This is the fourth man in the fire, part two. And they stood out. There's, there's a standing out that we should have. God is not as concerned about what is going on in your natural world as you think he is. It's not that he's not unaware, and it's not that he's not using it for his kingdom, and we're going to look at that today, that exact principle. He is fully aware, but he's not so um, confused and put off by what's going on in the natural that he doesn't have a plan in the midst of it for you and for his kingdom. Does that make sense? He's got you right where you are on purpose. And you're like, God, why'd you allow this? Why'd you allow that? I don't understand this. I don't understand that. And God's like, why don't we not look at those things for some time and you just focus on me. And guess what? I'm going to use you in ways that you never thought I could, even in the midst of that. Praise God. And that's exactly what happens. They, they shine. And they made an impact. And so they actually... Uh, under Daniel's uh, discretion, they become highest. They become the rulers under the king of the region of Babylon. And so it was a Babylonian kingdom, but specifically Babylon, the city. These guys are now rulers over that region. So God had looked at them and even placed them in positions just as you are all. You are all within families and in workplaces Within even this region, maybe you even wonder, what am I doing in New York? Why am I in the Hudson Valley? And you need to know, you know, your you could be like, well, I don't think the circumstances that got me here were God. They're just too weird and too random and whatever. And, you, you know, you could ask those questions, and I think that God's much more involved than you realize. But even if you think he had nothing to do with it, let me tell you this today. It doesn't really matter how you got to where you got to. All that matters is when you seek the Lord, when you put him first, he will use you right where you are. And these guys, their particular thing that they had was that they were, they were smart. All right? we, some work with their hands, some work with smarts, some people are in between, right? There's also this other type of smart, street smarts. I mean, God uses it all, right? And, he, and he's got you in certain places that sometimes we try to get out of, right? We don't want to be around this person or those people or this, you know, we don't want this job or whatever, but God might just have you there for his purpose. So I want you to hear this, though. These guys are about to face the fire, we know, right? We know where we're heading. I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to really focus on. I, we got up to the fire and I touched on it, and that's kind of where last, the last service ended. So we're going to get to the fire. We're going to talk about the fire today. But I want you to hear something. These men didn't just suddenly seek God once the fire was before them. I want you to hear in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. I don't want to get into a big giant teaching, but we know Old Testament law forbid them. 
from eating certain things, drinking certain things. And for instance, uh, the Jew was not allowed to have bacon on their egg sandwich, okay? But uh, we know New Testament, Peter was concerned about this particular issue, you know, what should I do? I'm with the Gentiles. The Lord's broke him free, broke us free then as well from that and said, rise, kill, and eat, that what I've made clean is clean. So the, the law went away, but at this time, I want you to hear something. We're not under that law, but, but for instance, I was just thinking of this. In New York, it's now legal for you to smoke marijuana if you want to. Now, just because the king says it's legal in New York as a believer, is that something that you would want to defile yourself with? Right? So just because something is accepted in our society, just because something is, becomes normal by society, you need to hear something. It's not for us bacon, all right? For them, it was the food. That was the issue. But they made a decision well before the fire came because that's the big, you think you not smoking pot is the big test. That's nothing. That's just opening a door for something much worse down the road. Now you're, you're so entwined with the world that you have no power to stand against the fires. So you see, it wasn't the bacon that was the issue. It was that they made a decision, we're going to follow God. And so these were symbols, the food, by eating and not eating, there were certainly some health things too. The Lord obviously knows what he's doing. <laughs> Couldn't, you know, there's, there's still bugs and, um, and worms and all kinds of weird stuff and bacon. You know, if you don't cook pork well enough, you know, and, and uh, that's, that's real. So God's also incredible too before science could look into that, right? It's amazing. I'm not saying don't eat your bacon. I do love bacon. I'm just saying that God knew what he was doing scientifically spiritually, okay, all of it. So, but for them, it was a religious thing as well because this was a decision, I'm going to do what God wants. So let's just sum that up. I want you to hear this, all right? Not to defile yourself with things that people around you are doing which is completely normal and accepted what God's word opposes. And you need to make that decision well before you're up against the wall where you're like, Lord, I need you. And you cry out, do I believe that Jesus could come in at that moment and rescue you miraculously? Of course, and he has. But who has experienced a much harsher time, a harder time? And you've been, you've been aware this would have been a lot easier if I'd been seeking the Lord all along and I didn't get myself in this situation. Who's been there, right? All right, so I'm not saying the Lord won't rescue you. Thank God that he is a rescuer and that he gives us grace and mercy. But we could avoid a lot of issues. We could be a lot stronger when the fire comes if we had chose the right path to not defile ourselves long ago. So I didn't make that note last week, but I wanted to, as I came into part two, I wanted to make this note that these guys were already men of God. They weren't just wise men that then had to suddenly seek God. They had the wisdom and the understanding from God, but they were also ones that had decided to not be intertwined. Even though they were in the world, they were doing a New Testament concept that is very clear for us, which is to be in the world, but not of it. Everybody say, I'm in this world, but I am not of it. And so 
There are decisions that we have already had to make, and there will be more that you're going to have to make more than ever. You're going to be shocked by what's coming down the pipeline in this modern world of what will be accepted and normal, and even the, 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 even the kings will say, this is okay by us, and you're going to have to make the decision that just because that society, even the law says it's okay, that my God says not to do these things, and, and so that will make you have strong footing. We're going to look at that when the fires come. So chapter 3, here they are. Now, now, Nebuchadnezzar, he builds a statue, right? Chapter 3, puts a statue up, 90-foot-tall gold, gold statue, just like we talked about last week. And he says, everyone, I'm going to play some music, and when I do, I want you to bow down. You're going to worship me, all right? And so it says in verse 6, if you refuse, in chapter 3, if you refuse, you'll immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace, and something happens, which I didn't make a big deal about last week, but I'm going to mention today. In verse 8, some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. When you make the decision to not defile yourself, do you know they probably had an attitude against the Jews ever since they arrived? Because these are the same Jews that changed my diet. They changed the laws, not just on their behalf, but on mine too. You know, as a believer, when you take a stand and you make an impact in the world, those that don't want God or don't want him the way you want him, those that crave sin still, crave this world still, you will make an enemy. And just come to terms with that. I'm not telling you to be their enemy. Jesus said, love our enemies. Pray for them, right? Those that despitefully use you, bless them. I'm not telling you to make enemies. I'm just saying you will make them, okay? Do we get that? And if they can, if they can bring you down, even in an, un, in an unjust way, they're going to try to bring you down because they hate you. But don't worry. Because Jesus warned us of these things. And, and he also is, reminds us in the New Testament that it's not you they really hate, it's God. Really what they hated about the Jews is that they were Jews. I know that's funny. You're like, wait, wait a second. That sounds like semantics. That's the same thing. It's not. They don't hate that you're a Christian. They hate what you believe. It's not you. It's that your beliefs actually irritate them. There's something inside them, but they don't want to admit it. They're going to say it's you. And so here comes the opportunity, verse 12. There's some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who you've put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty, and they refuse to serve your gods. They do not worship the gold statue. And so the Nebuchadnezzar becomes enraged, and he orders them to come before him. And then they say this. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego reply, we do not need to defend ourselves before you, but here's our defense. We don't need to, but if you need to hear something from us, if we're thrown into the fire, if we go into that furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us, and he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, 
We want to make it clear to you, your majesty, a decision we made long ago, a decision that was hard for us. When we arrived here in captivity, this is not our homeland. This is not where we wanted to be. And we never wanted this job. I didn't ask for this. I had a good life back where I used to be. And now I'm here under you, serving you. They didn't get, they didn't get bitter like that, did they? They could have gotten bitter. They could have been angry. They could have been disillusioned. But they had given themselves completely, said, you know what? They said a New Testament principle, which is this. It's, it's do, the, the Bible says, do everything as if you were doing it for the Lord. That your boss is just not your boss, but pretend that your job is serving God. Pretend that your boss is God. I'm not saying that he's God. Pretend God is your boss. Okay. And then you're going to do things differently. So they had made this decision long ago that they would not serve. Even though they served the king of Babylon faithfully, they must have in order to be brought in for counsel. They didn't serve his beliefs. You could be an American. You can be a citizen. You can be an upholding citizen. You could be a, someone that people look to and are, and are wise, but when it comes to some of the cultural beliefs, it does not mean that you need to, even though you'd be willing to die, lay down your life for this nation, doesn't mean that you need to believe every cultural belief that they believe, even legal things of this land. And so they said, we've made that clear, that's not going to change, and if we need to die, we're going to die, because God is able to save us, but we're not worshiping this statue. And he's so furious that he heats the furnace up seven times hotter than usual. And that's going to be a key today. And so it says, verse 24, and then we're going to get into some things here. Suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumps up in amazement and exclaims to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see. Let's just read this out loud because this is so powerful. This is a word from the Lord for you and for, and for me. This is for this season. The Lord is reminding us that he is with you in the fire. Praise God. God is with you in the fires. I want you to say it out loud. Say, I see four men. Unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a God. You need to say this. I see a fourth man, right, in my fire. There's someone else here with me. Yes, the enemy tried to destroy you, even though you were righteous, even though you made the decision long ago to stand for God and to not bow to this world, and he's, all he's done is tried to, to discredit you and break you down and hurt you in any way, shape, or form that he can because he hates not just you, he hates the God that you serve. But praise God that if he succeeds in even getting you into the fire, you need to know something now that God is with you in that fire. And what we're going to look into today is God will use, I want you to say this out loud with me, God's going to use that fire for his glory. Let me, you need to hear something today. 
If God allows you to go into the fire and you are righteous and you've been serving God and he is your God and you know it, and you have chose the right, chosen, choose, I don't know how to say that. You've chosen the right path to not defile yourself. Then I promise you, God's not letting that fire go to waste. That fire, and it, it's still going to be fire. It might be hot. I told you last week that Tyndale, right, they consider him the father of the English Bible. He didn't make it out of the physical fire. He did burn. But he is in glory right now with the Lord forever. In fact, I don't know how it all works. I just know that the Bible says there's something like, a, you know, the crowd of witnesses. There's a, there's a grandstand right now in heaven cheering for you and I still on the earth. Praise God. Isn't that amazing? He's cheering for us still on the earth. Praise the Lord. So there's no such thing as the enemy winning in your life when you stand for the Lord. And so if there is a fire, then you need to know, you need to know that you know, that you know, that you know today, I'm not alone. God's with me. And even though the flames are hot, hot, seven times hotter, it's for his purpose, for his glory. God's going to get some glory if the enemy is going to make a mockery of you because you serve God. It might be a moment. Everybody say, it might be a little while. We're going to look at that verse. It might be a little while, but God's going to get his glory. And so we know what happens. They come out. They don't even have the smell of smoke on them. And there's a new decree. Everybody say, there's a new decree. He said, if anybody says anything against these guys or their God, because who would be willing to die for their God? But these guys were, and if anyone says anything about them, he says, I'm going to turn their whole house into a heap of rubble, right? I'm going to destroy their house, and I'm going to tear them limb from limb. And I think he meant it literally, by the way. He was a, it was a ruthless kingdom. And when they said torn limb from limb, this is not a metaphor. You touch these guys, you touch their God, and then he promoted them, verse 30, everybody say, God promoted them. Wait a second, it says the king. Who's in control of these guys, God or the king? So who promoted them? They went through the fires, and they were promoted to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Praise God. So let's look a little bit deeper in these next 20 minutes. It's important to hear this. I need to say some things that God didn't do. God did not want them in Babylon. That wasn't God's purpose. God used it. It becomes a theme throughout our word all the way into Revelation because somehow we know God's heart, we know his desires because he's made it clear. And yet at the same time, he's already had things in the works beforehand. Even before you sinned, Jesus was already on the cross. And in the same way, before they ever went to Babylon, Babylon's already prepared for this. Even though God didn't want this, everybody say, God didn't want us in captivity. He didn't want Adam and Eve stuck under the bondage of sin. God didn't want to judge them. Say, God doesn't want to judge. I started the sermon saying he, he may and, he, and I think he will. Because that's scriptural. But he doesn't want to. 
What parent wants to punish their child? If you do, there's something wrong with you. All right? Parents want to give grace and mercy, right? Who was the kid like me that all of a sudden you're like, what did I do? It seems surprising because now as a parent, you get it. As a child, it seems like it was out of nowhere. But meanwhile, the parent let you get away with so much stuff that finally it was the little straw that breaks the camel's back. And all of a sudden, there's the wrath of mom or dad upon you. And it seems like this is a little too much for this little thing I just did. But really, it's a whole bunch of stuff that I've overlooked for a long, long time that I have to deal with now because apparently you don't get it by me not doing it. And so the Lord, just like a good parent, does finally deal with us. But he gives us so much grace. And so he doesn't want to judge. There's a cycle. Everybody say there's a cycle. And right on throughout the entire Bible, there is a cycle of his grace and like a good time. And then there's a falling time. And then his grace comes back again and overlooks like everything. Just wipes it clean like the blood of Jesus. And we see this cycle and repeats over and over again. It even repeated in the natural, even in 70 AD, because of their rejection of Christ, their land was completely wiped out. Finally, once and for all, their temple has never been rebuilt by, at least a Jewish temple has not. There are other temples that have been put in its place. But in 70 AD, once and for all, that cycle repeated from rejection of God and rejection of his offers, and finally the judgment came, and Jesus said, you know, he weeps actually for them. He weeps for Jerusalem for what's coming, and it does come. Does that mean that it had to come? That's my next point I want us to hear. Everybody, I want you to say it out loud. I have a choice. Everybody has a choice to turn to God. In fact, it says in Deuteronomy 30, we don't need to look there just for time, but it says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, it says you have a choice, choose life. I'm giving you an opportunity to choose life instead of death. We must choose. You must choose God. You have to choose. Listen, you can't make yourself righteous, but you have to choose to put yourself under his dominion. You can't make yourself clean, but you have to choose to come in. You make a choice. I don't remember God taking me to a swimming pool and holding me under until I was cleaned in his baptism. I made the choice to get baptized because I knew it's what I needed to do next. Whatever God was doing in my life, I've been baptized many times, not just one time, but maybe a new season in my life, baptized again. Let's just wash that away. I made the choice, and yet something supernatural is done that's bigger than my choice. But the Lord says to us, choose life. So God didn't make them. They chose. God did not inspire a plot to build a statue and worship it. God didn't inspire that plot. Also, just to be noted, but I'll be brief, is that God also does not deny himself to Babylon. If you go through the book of Daniel, God actually gives this nation tremendous grace. There's multiple kings, multiple opportunities with Daniel and then the kings that are going to follow that apparently, right, that they knew better, right? This Nebuchadnezzar is going to become sort of a, he's going to become like a Bigfoot, I know that's weird, 
Your Bible is very weird. Everybody just say it out loud. My Bible is weird. Just come to terms with it. But he becomes a, a literal Bigfoot. His hair grows like, it says like a beast, and his nails grow, and he goes out and eats grass and lives in the woods. Right, John? So God apparently is not just God over those who say you're my God, but he's also God over the whole world. Right in the midst of it, even though you're like, how can that be? God's giving grace even to America, even as they curse him. Our president right now does not serve God, and yet that's why we need to pray for him. We need to pray for this government, that, and if it continues that way, you just need to pray more. That doesn't mean that we're a lost cause. God looked at that king and said, I'm going to show you that I'm God. I'm going to leave that there, but I just want you to hear that God did not deny himself in the nation of Babylon. He didn't inspire them to be evil. He didn't tell them to be evil. And he gave himself even to them as well, just as he did to the Jews. So there's, there's some choices being made here by humanity. And so, I don't know, maybe it's for somebody on the podcast, but I feel like a, a very the most probably common question that humanity has when God comes up is, why did God do this? Why did God allow this? And you need to hear something. All that God is doing is giving grace. God's giving grace to those that don't deserve it, those that don't call on him, those that are setting up foreign gods as their gods. God's still giving them grace. But humanity is making a choice to reject him. And so as God's people, we're not going to reject him. We're going to stay close to him no matter where we are, no matter what the culture is, no matter who's in control, who's in charge, what the laws are. We're going to keep trusting God. We're going to stay righteous. Praise the Lord. The next thing I want us to note is God did not do all these things. People did. Humanity did. Satan is doing these things, conspiring against God. And yet, God uses everything for his glory. I want you to say that out loud. God uses everything for his glory. God works in the natural order of creation. God uses seasons. God uses the movements of the planets. Come on, these are all, this is all things we know. God even can use a stubborn pharaoh. He said, I see his stubborn heart. See, a lot of people think that God just moves and bends hearts, that we don't have a will because of Pharaoh, and they use that as an excuse. But if you actually dial back and read a couple of scriptures earlier, it says, I see Pharaoh's stubborn heart. I see that he's very stubborn, so I'm going to make him stubborn. God's just using what they're giving him. He didn't make him stubborn. I'm going to use that stubbornness for my glory. I'm going to use these things that are going on in your culture and in your nation for a chance for you to be a brighter light. You know, the darker it gets, the brighter even a small light becomes. And that's exactly what's happening here in Babylon. He uses TV and Internet, even though 
Both of those things spread way more evil than they do the gospel. But God uses them. I don't think God inspired either of them. I think they're both completely and totally evil. Does that mean that I don't have a phone in my pocket and I don't watch TV? Sure. But you know there's like, what, 900 channels? You know how many of them glorify God? Uh, zero. There's a couple of arguable ones in there. That's for you to decide. Zero. How much of the internet is glorifying God? And yet, does God use it? Of course he does. You know, God has, God has spread it. I've heard it. I've heard people, you know, TV shows, there's, there's a preacher on television on that evil thing, and they get down on their knees and they got saved, and that was their salvation story. So God uses everything, even though not everything seems like it's God or has anything to do with God. Amen. I think we're going to be encouraged by the end of this. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And it also says in Romans 11, verse 36, You may know it as from him, through him, and to him. Right? Who knows that term? Right? It says in the NLT, For everything comes from him and exist by his power, and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Whatever is going on in your life, it is for God's glory. And you're like, no way. There's no way that this, what I'm dealing with, is for God's glory. You need to hear this. You're never, ever alone. It says in Deuteronomy Chapter 31, verse 6, he says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not panic. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will never, he will neither fail you or forsake you, abandon you. Never. He never forsakes us and never abandons us. Do you believe that more than you believe what you feel? Or are you letting the feelings, the pressures and the weights, even, even just the, 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 the heaviness of the world we're living in, are you letting that bombard you so much that you forget it doesn't change anything. God's still with me. God is with me. You have to see this. People are making the choice to reject God. God is not rejecting people. It's a very big deal. It is such That is literally the difference of literally black and white. They're so far apart to, to see this, right? As far as the night is from the day, you need to see that the difference between God doing it and man doing it. All right? Men are, are going to continue to reject him, the Bible says, even until finally the last straw, the time when Jesus starts, when he rides in, and that's it. We're going to wrap this thing up, and we're going to, this whole earth, the whole, even, we don't understand it, but everything we know, seen and unseen, gets thrown into the lake of fire, and, and, and then those that are his are going to go into eternity with him. The final straw for that is once even his people start falling away. If that's where it's going to go, what does that tell us? It tells us that the falling away is the greatest thing. The greatest threat against your faith is falling away. 
What is falling away? Well, I mean, just that simplicity, what is it? It's when we let this world, sometimes those are desires, and sometimes those are pressures. They're both good. The pullings of sin and the desire of the world can pull you away, but also the pressures, the bombardment, God's not real, he doesn't care about you, he doesn't love you, that can be just as dangerous as the luring and pulling of the world, and regardless, it causes a person to fall away. You need to know God will never leave you and never abandon you, even if you reject him. But listen, you are making that choice. It is not God. I don't believe, in fact, that God sends people to hell. I don't see that in the scriptures. I just see that he said, choose life instead of death. If you don't choose life, you've already made your choice. God's not doing it. You did it. We have every, he, he has given us everything. He didn't even spare his own son on the cross. We're never alone. And he always gives us a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that everybody around you. See, sometimes we think we're unique. What I'm going through, no one's going through. You know, maybe in fine, minute details, or even maybe just if you're going to judge this year of your life versus that year of their life. But listen, the Bible says that what you're going through, everyone's going through. And God's not going to let it be so much. Listen, if my Bible says he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand, who believes your Bible more than you believe self? Because who has said, no, I can't take it anymore. I just can't do it anymore. Or I had no choice. The desire overwhelmed me. It wasn't me. It was, the, it was something bigger than me. No, you made a choice. And so we must make the same choice to stand with him. He's calling us back. He's calling you out. He's calling you into his presence. He's calling you. And so when we're tempted, he says it will show you a way out. And also, he gave us the seal and the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. You're not by yourself. You're not alone. It's not just you in that situation. The fourth man in the fire who's with you today is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said, I'm going to ask the Father, verse 16, to give you the advocate. He's also known as the helper, the encourager, right? I'm going to, I'm leaving, I'm going to sit on my throne, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit so that no matter what you go through, no matter what you face, you will never be alone. He said, he is the Holy Spirit, verse 17, who leads into all truth. And then he says, you know him, he's around you, you're aware of him, but he's going to be in you. And then he says, verse 18, I will not abandon you as orphans, I will come to you. In verse 26, and when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. You are not in your fire by yourself. Are you blocking out the Holy Spirit? Are you not listening to what he's trying to say? Sometimes you're like, well, I don't feel like I want to read a Bible verse right now. You need to take that thought. You need to pull that thing down. That is an evil thought. That is a stronghold from Satan that is propped up against you, and people make all excuses about that. It is exactly what you need to do. And you might think, well, it did nothing. Me reading the scripture, I don't feel any different. You need to know right now that Jesus said the thing that's going to keep you safe is the Holy Spirit's going to remind you of what I said. 
That's going to be the, that's the only answer. You're looking for a little pat on the back, you're not going to get it. But what you are going to get is the Word of God, and that is the life that you need. That's what my Bible says. You need to also hear this. Christ is with us in the fire. In Philippians 4, verse 13, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And you know, when we quote that scripture, sometimes we're about to go play a soccer game and we think that means we're going to get some goals. That's fine. You want to go take a test, you know, at school and say, Christ, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I think the Lord's going to be like, well, if you didn't study, you know, if you didn't practice, I think you're missing the context of this verse. So, so I think sometimes we misuse this verse to suddenly think that we're going to have abilities that we didn't have before. Now, if, if you are in China and uh, the soldiers, because this is a real testimony I heard, come in to look for you and they can't see anybody even though you're right there in their face, guess what? Now the power of this verse, I'm not saying Christ wasn't with you when you took your exam at school, but this is really what he means. He means when it comes to a time, when it comes to a place where you can't do it, that's where Jesus starts coming in. In fact, that's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you can do it, right, if you have the ability to do it, I don't believe the Lord bails us out of those situations very often. I believe we actually have to fail, right? If you passed an exam that you didn't study for, what is the Lord teaching you? Nothing. He's teaching you to be an idiot. But in fact, he says, hey, you failed. I, you want to show, you want to see how I'm with you? Go home and study this time, and I'll be with you. I'll help you remember what you actually did and you applied yourself to. Now, in the scenarios where that's it, you are up against a corner, you have done everything you can do, you're serving God. Uh, listen, that's where Jesus shows up in a different way. You get put in that fire. Listen, he said, Paul is testifying and he says, the Lord's telling him, you need my grace. It's my grace, that's all you need. He said, my power works best in weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He says, so I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Praise God. Does that mean that Paul hadn't applied himself to, was Paul, Paul said, I've already gained, I've got the knowledge, and I'm already in chains. I can't give anymore, but I'm being bombarded in this place of giving everything. This is what I want you to hear. When you dig into the Lord and you say, I want God, some people think that the yellow brick road is just going to unfold for them. And it's just the opposite. You call on God, you seek God, this is the time. It's not going to be sloppy. This is not where, well, I was just, you know, I was just a fool and unprepared. And I'm like, Lord, where are you? And it seems like he's abandoned me. He didn't abandon you. He's looking for you to step it up in some areas. But when you've given him everything, I promise you, the fires will come. We're going to have to get deeper into this next week. But the fires are going to come because in that place where I'm completely empty, there's nothing left of me. I've given everything I can. I'm seeking him. I'm calling on him. I'm, I'm in my word. I'm around other believers. I'm shutting the door to these things, and I'm shutting the door to those things. And But I just feel like maybe, why is it getting worse? And the Bible says that's because 
you have got, you've had it in your head and you've made some choices and those choices had to be made, but now's a time where it's going to start to become spirit. This is the transition of you going from being a flesh person to a spirit person. And the Bible says that as Paul was going through this, it was actually hard for him. He's like, I had all these revelations and, and he's like, I went to the third heaven and I saw all these amazing things. But God didn't want me to think it was me, so he allowed some pressures in my life on purpose, the Bible says, so that I had to rely on him with everything. And so he says, that's why, verse 10, I take pleasures in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When you have decided to not defile yourself and the enemy comes at you with everything, we're going to get into next week of what it does in you. There's something supernatural. You get, you're changed. I said last week, I'll say this again. Jesus died before he ever went to the cross. His physical death wasn't yet, but his spiritual death was already done. When he said, not my will, but your will be done, it was already dead was already done. The power was already done. I love that scene in The Passion. It's not scriptural, but who's ever seen the movie The Passion where the serpent's there in the garden and Jesus just stomps on its head? There's just this stomp, it's done. The enemies come, but it's done. You know, the same thing happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't get burned. They didn't, they didn't physically die, but they had already died. They made the choice that it was not their life. It was God's life. And when you make that choice, some physically still go through it, some are physically spared, but you have gone into that fire, you've already died, you've already laid down your life. That's what we need to do. You lay down your life, here's the promise though, ready? Here's for our clothes. That's where Jesus is. He was with you, I want, you need to say this out loud, you ready for this? He was with me all along, but I didn't know it the way I know it. When I'm in the fire. Who can testify of that? He's with you all along. But when you're going through it. And you trusted him. There's something special isn't there? He shows up in that time. In such a tangible. Powerful way. And the Lord. This is what we're going to talk about. The Lord allows it. Because you need to know. Come on. That's actually. When you come out of that. The next time you go through something. And you're like. Well he's with me and I don't see him, and I don't feel him right now, you have this, this mile marker in your life, and you say, you know what? I thought I was like that before. I didn't see him. I didn't feel him. I even thought he abandoned me, and I, he allowed me to go into some things that I thought was unfair, but right there in that place where I didn't give up and I kept trusting him, I knew his presence in such a powerful way that I don't know what's going to happen this time, but I know he's with me. Amen? Praise the Lord. The Lord is with you. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. God is so good. He's so powerful. He is so mighty. He is still seated upon the throne. And so, Lord, I just leave this church today with a blessing. Bless them. And I pray, Lord, that your presence, that's, that's the promise. 
Lord, all of the struggle to get to the promise, my word says they didn't attain it, though, because they were waiting for Jesus to show up. Thank you, Lord, that there was a greater promise that all the struggle, all the fighting, all the worrying, Lord, that all of this, thank you, Jesus, it's to know you greater, and it's thank you, Lord, for you to do something miraculous inside of us to change us. Praise God. Amen. Bless you.